I'm never really a fan of just dropping a kid in a situation and letting them figure it out. But I'm totally a fan of providing a clear idea of what the expectations may be in any given situation, stepping back and not jumping in before they need help to meet those expectations. So I don't think we're setting kids up to fail, just that you can build the scaffolding, show your child how to navigate it and stand back from a distance watching them scale it. Welcome to the Tilt Parenting Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and this week I'm doing a special back-to-school episode to help families preparing for easing into the coming school year with as much confidence and serenity as possible. I'm grateful to be welcoming back to the podcast, Amanda Morin, a writer, parent advocate, a former educator, and the content development manager at one of my favorite go-to resources, Understood. Amanda and I cover a lot of ground in this episode in looking at the different potential concerns and stressors for kids this time of year, which will vary depending on their age and grade level. And we'll talk about how we can support our kids through them, how to kick the year off on the right foot with our child's teachers, how much support and scaffolding our kids need, and how we as parents can best prepare ourselves too. After you've listened to the episode, I recommend you go to bts.understood.org. BTS is short for back to school. So again, it's bts.understood.org. And that's where you will find Understood's back to school toolkit, which features expert vetted tips, tools and videos that can help you and your child feel more confident and prepared for the first day of class. And before I get to the episode, if you haven't checked out my book Differently Wired yet, I invite you to download the first chapter and the table of contents at tiltparenting.com book. I have been bowled away by the response from our parenting community so far, and I am thrilled to hear from parents who say the book is helping them feel optimistic and confident about raising their exceptional kids. If you have read it already and you like what you read, I would be grateful if you could take five minutes to head over to Amazon and leave a review for the book. Reviews not only help people deciding whether or not the book is for them get a sense of its value, but... Having a lot of reviews makes it more likely the book will show up in searches when people are looking for parenting books in the general area of raising atypical kids. And lastly, I have had the pleasure of doing some virtual book club visits with some online groups who are reading Differently Wired as a group. I love doing these kinds of visits over Facebook Live. It's a great chance for me to learn more about what's resonating with people and it gives readers a chance to explore some of the places where they might be feeling a little bit stuck. If you are reading the book as a group online and you'd like me to join you for a Facebook Live or a chat, just send me a message via the Tilt Parenting Facebook page, or you can email me at debbie at tiltparenting.com and we'll see what we can work out. And if you're looking to read it as a group for an in-person book club, I would love to find a way to Skype into your group if we could make that happen. So if you go to tiltparenting.com slash book, you'll find a section that says, is your book club reading differently wired? So just click on the learn more button there and you can learn more. So thank you so much. And now here is my conversation with Amanda. Hello, Amanda. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me back. It's good to talk to you again. I know. Well, we just saw each other in New York not too long ago. So it's it's fun to be now having this conversation, which is going to be all about back to school because it's that time of year. That crazy that it's that time of year again. It just Amen. seems to always be that time of year somehow. I don't know how that right. happens. <laughs> but before we get into the conversation, um, could you just take a few minutes to introduce yourself and, and who you are so our listeners have some context? Sure. So that's an interesting question. I never quite know how to start that. Um, I'm Amanda Morin. Like you, I'm a parent of differently wired kids. I have three kids, two of whom I would say are differently wired, although I think probably all three are. I am an author. I've written a number of books on education and special education. Um, and I'm an expert and writer for understood.org, which is a um, project of the National Center for Learning Disabilities for parents of kids with learning and attention issues, which is sort of in that differently wired bucket. Yes, there's a lot of alignment with with us and understood. And I so appreciate that perspective and relationship. And and that's how we met as well. So I'm so happy to have you back on the show today. All right, I think we should just dive in. Um, 
Because this is a time of year. I know, you know, I'm homeschooling now. We have our own back to school transition. We, it's true for anyone. But I know that if your kid is in a more traditional school setting, this is a time of year that can strike fear in the hearts of parents. Um, it can create anxiety for kids. So maybe let's just start there. You know, why is this time in particular, such a tricky time, especially for our kids? Like, what are the different things that we're dealing with? Sure. You know, and I always think this is such an interesting question, in part for because for my two kids who are differently wired, summer is the trickier time for them than back to school. But I think it's for the same reasons that, pe- that kids have anxiety about back to school. For them, it's the transition to the unknown. And for my kids, school has that predictable routine that they look forward to and summer doesn't, which may say more about how I handle summer than anything (laughs) else. Um, But, you know, for other kids, that school routine is it's so fraught with what they feel like opportunities for failure, which makes me sad to say out loud. But I think that's it. There's new teachers, new classmates, new schedules, like in all these new demands, which is like a ton to prepare for and absorb, right? It's not a place they always feel most confident. You know, these are kids who are working hard, not only to get through the work and the social demands of the day and navigate the new spaces, but they're not always spelled out, those expectations and those new demands. And I think it's easy to forget that differently wired kids are, they may be putting in twice as much work for the same payoff as other kids. And that's anxiety provoking in a lot of ways and exhausting, I think, too. Yeah. Well, I also know that a lot of kids, especially with attention issues, may be on medication during the school year. And I know a lot of parents take their kids off of medication for the summer. And I'm wondering if that in your experience, is that something that also can create some anxiety or just some unsettledness that you know, if that's even a word unsettledness, I just going to add that to the dictionary. Um, And I so, yeah, I think that uh, we call that a medication vacation, which I just like saying out loud. It's just as much as an unsettledness, I like medication vacation. Um, I think, yeah, I think that there are parents and kids who do take that time off during the summer from taking medication. And so there's always a little trepidation about starting it back up again, not only because that may be something kids have to take at school, and then that's one more way they're set apart. You know, they're going to the nurse to take the medication or whatever, but also there's sort of this what am I like when I take medication? I may not remember that. You know, from a kid's perspective, I may not remember what that feels like, or uh, there may be side effects that I don't recall. Hopefully, if your child's on a good medication regimen, then there aren't side effects that affect anything in school. But there is sort of this this place where you start thinking about: Am I going to be a different person? Am I going to think differently? Is this going to help? Is this you know all of these kinds of things? Um, And one way that I think that parents can make that a little bit easier is to cut short the medication vacation. So before you're going back to school that couple of weeks before, make sure that that's a time when you're, you're, you know, working with your doctor to get your child back into the medication routine to make sure that everything's working smoothly. That's good advice. So I want to talk about what parents can do to actually support this transition. But before we get into more specifics, So we just talked about kids who are on medication and that medication vacation, which is, yes, a much better term than what I was using. Could you just talk a little bit about, you know, I know on Understood's website, there are some really helpful articles regarding the transition for elementary school students versus middle school students versus high school students. So what are some of the things that our kids are dealing with in those different ages? Sure. And actually, what's really cool is that we've put together a back to school tool that specifically um, deals with those things. So you don't have to search through all of the content on Understood, which there's actually an enormous amount of. Um, So we have a back to school tool that we've put together where you can sort of click your child's age group, what you think they're struggling with, whether they have an IEP or a 504 plan or not, and get personalized resources, which is super helpful. And I'll make sure that we give you the information for that. But so, you know, and it varies. It varies between on the child and their age. And many, many elementary school children are sort of anxious about things that don't even occur to us as parents. You know, they worry they won't see their summer friends as often again, and they have to reestablish school friendships or make new ones. And things like the bus are a big concern for kids. And I think we don't always give that the consideration it deserves. You know, who am I going to sit with? 
when is the bus going to come? Do I know all of these kinds of things? How do I know when to get off the stop? What what if I forget which bus I'm on? You know, meeting new teachers, not sure when lunchtime is. All of those kinds of things that we take for granted as being adults, I think, are really high stressors for kids in elementary school. And in middle and high school, my gosh, that's just such a rough age anyway, whether or not yeah. you're going back to school. Um, and it's when kids start having those different teachers throughout the day. They have to travel between classes. I mean, all sorts of kids, they're dealing with social pressures of group activities. And and some of them, my gosh, it's like, <gasps> makes me startled to say because I have a high schooler. Some of them are dealing with dating even, right? So there are the, all of these things. And they may even have to do things like figuring out how to get to and from their locker between classes. And as an aside, this is really interesting because I could never figure out how to do a combination lock ever, like in my entire career of being in school, ever. I think I left my locker open and it was really insecure, but I just couldn't do it. And so when I understood published this video and cheat sheet about how to do a combination lock, I just about cried with joy because I could give it to my son instead of having to figure out how to teach him how to do it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's actually an anxiety dream that I have often is Nothing. not being able to get the locker open for getting the combination. Yeah, that I still have that to this day. That makes me feel a lot better, actually. <laughs> You're not alone. <laughs> I'm not alone, which is sort of our mantra here, right? Like everybody's mantra. Yes. Um, you know, and I think that the other thing that I would point out is that this is that time when we start asking kids to be more independent and take charge of their own learning. And not all kids are organized and emotionally ready to do that, and that can cause a lot of stress. So it's daunting to have to self-advocate in a time of your life when you really want to draw as little attention to yourself as possible. And those are things that I think we can help set kids up for success in, you know, really subtle ways. But I think it's worth noting that your child's trajectory may be different. So when everybody's saying, well, hey, this is when everybody's more independent, it's okay to say my child's not ready to be as independent, but I'm going to set them up to be as independent as I can set them up to be. I love that. That is something I was just having a conversation with someone on Facebook about this and, you know, the timeline piece, uh, you know, and respecting the timeline that our kids are on. And I really love that because, yeah, I think there are these ideas that when you're in third grade, things really get ramped up because this is what's right. going on. And when by middle school, they have to be able to do this, this and this and by high school. And, and I think it's great to remember that our kids are going to need more scaffolding and we don't have to buy into the message that they need to be able to do this independently by this age because that just creates so much more anxiety for everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, that it's a way for us as parents to sort of let go of those expectations a little bit too, to be able to say, I know who my child is and I'm going to support who my child is as opposed to who people think my child should be. For me, that's been something that's been hard to do, but the most freeing thing is to be able to recognize that my kids are individuals on their individual timelines and that I need to support them based on who they are and not who I think they should be. Yeah. The lesson we get to keep on learning, right? Over and over. <laughs> so uh, there's so much we could talk about. And as you know, the list of questions I sent you in advance is two pages long. So I want to try to unfold this as logically as possible. I'd love to talk just for a moment about the younger kids, like the elementary school kids, because a lot of the listeners of this podcast have kids in those early elementary school years or even older preschool years. And I want to talk about this idea of having conferences with teachers ahead of time. What are your thoughts on that? And uh, how do we go about doing that in a way that works? That's really tricky, isn't it? And it's interesting because I, you did send me some questions ahead of time and I started thinking about that one. And I thought about how my answer would be different now. So I have an elementary child still, and then I have one in high school, and then I have one who's college age. So it's ridiculous, right? So my answer would have been different with the older one and the middle one than it is now. And, you know, I'm a former teacher and I'm a parent, and I'm sort of always of the opinion that the first contact between parents and teachers should be around something positive. Right? I don't think a teacher should ever have their first contact with a parent with a phone call that says, you know, something went really badly. And I also think parents shouldn't have their first contact as, I need you to know something about my kid, right? I, I think that there's this balance because you can set everybody up for success or you can set them up for failure. And in some ways, I think that that summer conference idea has the potential to, to set people up for failure because it sets expectations of who your child is. And, and they may not be that once they get into the classroom. 
So, I mean, to that end, I think it's sometimes better to do an introduction letter than to send, set up a meeting. And um, that's actually one of the um, resources we have on Understood. I think I may have written downloadable introduction letters that you can sort of fill in and send out. And it, it's something a lot of parents and kids do, and not just parents of kids of, who have, are differently wired, have ADHD, have all of these things. So it's not an unexpected thing to do, to send a letter. And you can keep it light. You can let the teacher know you're available to them as, as needed. You can share strategies of what have worked well in the past, which, again, I think is nothing another parent might not do. And then you could ask things like, you know, if you have questions about the IEP or forever four plan, feel free to reach out. And that gives sort of a subtle heads up to be looking for that plan, but also not reinforcing any preconceived notions about you or your child, right? And I think that this is one of those, your mileage may vary. If it works for you to meet with a teacher, I think that's that's something you should do. For me personally, I'd like to take a light touch and then go from there. Okay, so that's good to know. And that is not at all what I did. I was like, we painted a big target on our kids back. That's totally a point. It's not what I did the first time around or the (laughs) second time around. And now I'm learning the third time around. If I don't want people to go, oh, Mrs. Morin's coming into the school again, that I need to take a lighter touch. Yeah. Well, and I also, I always struggled with that balance of what is too much information, you know, and and making sure the teacher has the support that they need, but also not wanting my kid to go into school with that target on their back or already these preconceived notions about who he or she is. Because as you said, they change, right? They're always growing and evolving. And so we shouldn't also assume this is who they're going to be that next year. And they're different with us than they are with teachers sometimes, right? You know, I mean, that's just the nature of parent-child relationships. I do think, though, it's worth noting that if you have have a really anxious child, a child who may be super anxious to go to school, even to the point where they may not go in the door, that's something you probably need to talk to the school about ahead of time. That's a piece that's well worth having a conversation about. So, uh, you know, I don't want to neglect that and say, you know, if you have a child who's very, very anxious, it's well worth making sure people are su- have the support in place to make sure that the teacher, you're right, the teacher needs support in place, but also have the supports to make sure your child can be successful getting in the door. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back after this quick break. I'm on the road this month and oh man, am I missing my sweet kitties, Haskell and Lua. They've been a part of our family for more than two years and I'm so grateful they're keeping Darren such good company while I'm away. If you're getting a new pet soon, you're probably already thinking about everything you'll need to buy. Food, toys, a cozy bed, doggy bags or litter boxes. Something you may not be thinking about though is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com parenting. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com parenting. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com parenting. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. 
They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. Yeah, that's great. And then what about the prep that we are going to provide for our kids? And again, I know this will vary um, year to year and, and on their age, but especially with anxiety, you brought that up, right? So do we want to do role playing? Do we, you know, how much information is too much information? You know, um, sometimes talking a lot about something in advance can actually heighten the anxiety. Right. So right. what are your thoughts on that? So, you know, it's funny, I feel like this is a cop out answer, but you're absolutely right that it depends on knowing your child um, and what's going to serve them best. And it does for some kids, it means more anxiety. But, you know, in our house, what we've, I have a what if child, he always does the, you know, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if this happens? And so what I've done, I've, I've turned it into a game that we now call the what if versus what is game in our house. So for example, if he says to me, what if I don't know about anybody at my bus stop? I'll say, you know, I hear that that worries you. Let's also talk about the what is. You know that there are two other guys in our neighborhood who take the bus to school, so they're going to be at your bus stop. Do you know them, right? So we're talking, I'm acknowledging and validating what he's worried about, not dismissing it, but also helping him to see that there are other ways to approach the situation. It's been fairly successful. Um, It's one of those things that I think, whoa, I just tried that on a whim and it worked out really well and I like it. But, you know, I think, it's important to listen to our kids and try not to transfer our own anxieties to them, which sounds like super easy, right? And now you have to ask me how well I actually do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not as well as I'd like. But instead of suggesting things that your child might be worried about, I think it's easier to ask them to tell you what they're worried about. So instead of saying, you know, are you worried about meeting a new teacher? You can say, are there any things about going back to school that are, are making you anxious that you're worried about? And then to respect that these are real worries for them, even though they don't sound like a big deal to you, is really key. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the other thing I'd suggest is be careful not to solve a problem that a child's not asking you to solve. And this is something I've had to learn with having teenagers, is I'm very often saying, okay, do you want advice here or do you want me to just hear you? And I say it in a very sincere and genuine way. I, it didn't sound as sincere and genuine when I just said it now. But I really just want to know, is it about being heard or is it about coming up with solutions? So I think I think you take your cues from your child and then you find ways to hear them and also help them at the same time. Yeah. And that's a great thing that, you know, with our partner, if we have a partner, right? I'm right, saying that right. I'll tell my husband, you know. I don't want advice. I just want to be heard or whatever. So I think that's right. just a respectful way to to be in the world. And sometimes we give our friends and partners that courtesy, but not our kids. So that's a really right. nice reminder. And one of the things you're just reminding me that I that's similar to that, that I've started saying with Asher is like, do you just need to vent right now? You know, just that's totally fine. Like I can just listen if you just need to get it out. But if you also want to problem solve, I'll I'll do that with you, but letting them decide. Right. And I think that that's so powerful. Giving our kids agency is something that's really hard to do. But just in the end, we're all trying to raise confident and successful human beings, right? That's the end goal. And so giving them as much agency as possible and empowering them, while it's really hard as a parent, I think is going to serve everybody well in the end. Yeah, it's the tricky thing, right? Um, This is something that came up. I, I did a Facebook live with a group yesterday about some of the concepts in my book and um, this idea of just the scaffolding and how much is too much. And and I always think of Jessica Leahy's book, The Gift of Failure. And these are things right. I'm constantly thinking about and trying to figure out. And I, it does depend on who your child is and really knowing them so well. But, you know, let's then talk about older kids. So kids in middle school or high school where there is an expectation that they're going to be more independent or just the the pressure is higher in terms of what they're expected to do during the day. So, and I I know this is going to vary depending on the kid, but do you have thoughts about how we as parents can 
support them and set up scaffolding based on what they need in school? Yeah, you know, ideally, you've already started building some of that scaffolding. And you have a good team around your child who's willing to let them make mistakes, because that's huge that, you know, you talked about the gift of failure. And that's so huge. I love that book, by the way. Because it, it teaches that idea that the failure is an okay thing. Making mistakes is okay. But what happens when you make those mistakes? You prop yourself back up and you're off to a good start. So, you know, I think one of the pieces of scaffolding is building the people who are going to monitor that, right? Making sure that there's somebody who's c- keeping track. I'm never really a fan of just dropping a kid in a situation and letting them figure it out. But I'm totally a fan of providing a clear idea of what the expectations may be in any given situation, stepping back and not jumping in before they need help to meet those expectations. So I don't think we're setting kids up to fail, just that you can build the scaffolding, show your child how to navigate it and stand back from a distance watching them scale it, you know, build the systems and then give them control over the time. So I'm trying to think of an example. So if my struggle is whether or not do I remind my child to do his homework or do I trust that he'll do it or not do it and then have to deal with the consequences of it? It may be a little bit of both. At the beginning of the year, maybe we set up a homework routine that I remind him about and then slowly pull back from. And, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your point of view, (laughs) at some point, we need to trust that our kids are strong enough to manage the consequences of their own actions but they need to know what those consequences are going to be. And I think that's where scaffolding comes in is making sure they know the expectations and what the consequences it are. And then I think having faith that we as parents are giving them the tools to navigate life. So some of it's about building scaffolding for your child and some of it's about trusting yourself. And I think that they're, they go hand in hand in a way that we don't always acknowledge. Yeah. And I would just, you know, acknowledge this is a conversation that any parent with any child is, you know, is important to have in in their lives, because this is part of parenting is helping our kids launch and letting go more and more each year, and giving them those opportunities. Um, But I really love that having faith in what you've set up, but then that trusting yourself piece, that's a really nice way to put it. Yeah. And I think it's all easier said than done. Like, I think it's really important. I always feel the need to say that because I, I listen to myself and I'm like, that's really good advice. Do I take my own advice? And I, <laughs> I want to make sure that I'm saying to the people who are listening, this all sounds wonderful, but I know it's hard. And, and I know that we're, we're, we're all going to fail and we need to learn from our own mistakes and pick ourselves back up and try again too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I just wanted to go back to one thing you mentioned, you talked about building, you know, the support for our kids and the people who will monitor, you know, what's going on with them that isn't necessarily us. Can you give me an example of who else might be part of that support system for them? Sure. And I think that's often, I mean, there there are many different ways to answer that question. Sometimes it's friends. Um, for older kids, their friends are like a really good support system. And I think just sort of re- reminding your child how you can use your friends as a support system is really helpful. And then if you know their parents just sort of like saying, hey, so this year, my kid's working on this. And if your child seems to be really good at it. Let's see how that that can work together as a team. But I also think that there's this team at school, right? You have teachers and case managers and social workers and principals. I mean, there are a lot of people at a school who can be a good support, but all your child really needs is one that he trusts. And I think that that's, that's key is making sure you know who that person your child will go to if you're not the person there available for them. Who can they go to? And just one person makes a big difference. And sometimes when your child's switching schools, it may even be an, a teacher from the old school. Um, that, that sounded funny, from old school. Your teacher from the old school who can help introduce your child to somebody at the new school who's sort of similar to them and the way they work. Hmm, that's great. Well, I, I want to talk about this advocacy piece. I know that that is a big goal um, that we have for our kids as they get older to learn how to advocate for themselves. And that is also something that comes up a lot in the parents I hear from. There's that place that a lot of kids find themselves where even if they're proud of who they are, or they've at one point have felt really comfortable with their difference, the middle school years, they may not be as much, but that's also a time when we want them to start advocating more. Right. Can you talk about that self-advocacy piece? Like, 
what are some of the challenges in supporting our kids and learning those skills and then any strategies around doing that? Sure. And I think the first thing that I want to like note is that we have self-advocacy scripts on understood that I've helped to put together and write because sometimes in the moment a child may go blank and they may not remember what it is you've practiced with them. So we have some of those sort of cheat sheet, you know, for whatever issues. But I I also, it's critical for me to say that I think self-advocacy, and I think you're saying this too, is a skill that every kid should learn no matter what the circumstances of their lives, right? So hopefully, in my eyes, it's that part of raising responsible, confident humans who know that they're ready to take on the world. And because of that, I don't always see it as a skill that should sort of solely be taught to our kids, um, our in quotation marks, of course, you know? and I think in some ways, it's, it's part of an ongoing conversation in general about how do you talk to people about how who you are, what you need, what you feel good about, what you'd like to improve. And I think that really clearly one of the things is it's modeling as parents by doing this out loud self-talk kind of sharing about our days. So, for example, oh, rats, you know, I totally forgot to write down the shopping list. I don't do well remembering things without a list. Maybe I need to start taking a picture of the list on my phone before we leave the house. So you're talking through what you feel like you should have done and you're advocating for what your needs are. Or, you know, at work today, I had this really kind of tough meeting and I didn't agree with what this person was saying. And I really wasn't sure if I should speak up, but I spoke up and I, I think I did a really good job of acknowledging where he was coming from, but also telling him how I do this project differently. So it's it's showing your kids that advocacy comes in small ways and big ways. Um, you know, and I think with kids who have accommodations, it's always good for them to know what those accommodations are. Um, and it's interesting because I don't think that parents always tell kids about their accommodations, especially younger kids. And I'm not sure why we don't do that. And, and I include myself in that, that I, there are times where I forgot to do that. But if you know what your accommodations are, it gets easier for kids to ask for them outright or by a gentle reminder, like, oh, if I have a substitute today, oh, by the way, I always type my my assignment on the computer instead of writing it by hand. You know, So if they know that that's something that they have an accommodation for, they can just be really you know, gentle and reminding it. And then there are these other little things that if we set kids up to do little things for themselves, we're setting up to be self-advocates. For example, anything from like doing your own laundry to ordering your own food at a restaurant, that's advocacy. You're you're starting it. So I think that if you take it out of this is just something you do at school and this is something you do in life, it's a really good way to start those skills. That was a very long answer. I'm sorry. Just- no, I like that, especially the restaurant piece too. I mean, I think that's so important and it's something that, you know, and, and I have Asher do that in Dutch here, you know, which he's not oh, always wow. happy about doing, but, and I, and then if the right thing doesn't come out or they put whipped cream on the hot chocolate and he specifically said no slach room on that hot chocolate, you know, <laughs> well then you should let them know, like you deserve to have the drink you ordered. So I, I love that you can do it in other in other ways. Yeah, my, my little one orders pickles, orders without pickles on anything. So he really hates pickles. So in restaurants, when he's ordering, he'll even say, I'll have a French toast, but no pickles, please. Like, so he's, <laughs> <laughs> but he's clear that he doesn't want it. That's, he <laughs> so, knows, he knows what he wants and doesn't want. That's awesome. Right. We'll be right back after this quick break. If you listen to this show, you probably know that at least one in five children is differently wired. But did you know that approximately one in two women will experience hair thinning? If you're part of that 50%, you are absolutely not alone. But because hair thinning for women isn't something people openly talk about, going through it can feel lonely and frustrating. So why not do something about it with Nutrafol? Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Everyone's root causes of hair thinning are different, so a one-size-fits-all approach to hair growth isn't going to cut it. Nutrafol has multiple formulas tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow throughout different stages, postpartum, menopause, even for different lifestyles like a plant-based diet. To get your personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes, you can take a simple hair wellness quiz on Nutrafol.com. And because there's no prescription required, you can quickly get set up online with free shipping and automated deliveries, which make it so much easier to stick with your new hair care routine. See results in three to six months. 
Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code TILT. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com promo code TILT. That's Nutrafol.com promo code TILT. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. Can you just, just to, to expand on your last answer, I just want to know if you have thoughts around kids who are feeling insecure around their differences and not wanting to, I don't know, maybe even feeling like they shouldn't need to have these extra supports or they don't want to be known for them or that part of their identity. Do you have thoughts about that? Yeah, that one's that I do. And I think about this one a lot and I wish I had a really good answer for it. And I don't think that I do. One of the things I do think is, you know, those are kids where we want to make sure they understand that everybody's different. You know, everybody has differences. Everybody has things they're good at. Everybody has things that they're bad at. And I think those are where you put the supports in behind the scenes where you're letting a teacher know he's really not willing to speak up. He's not willing to say this. So I'm going to need your help in monitoring that. And whether it's a matter of, you know, a really subtle signal. So your child is not one who wants to read out loud. So maybe the signal is he just sort of closes his book or he puts a, you know, a card down on his desk or something like that. I think it's, it's important to have other ways to communicate. And I just, I think that as kids, they go through phases. At one point in, in, you know, when kids are younger, everybody's just who they are and it's no big deal. And then as they get older, everybody wants to be not noticed, right? And then as they get older again, they're taking on that identity. And I think it's it's really key to remember that kids just go through sort of these phases of feeling confident and not confident. And that the more we can point out that everybody's just their own person, the more it helps kids to just feel okay about being who they are. And that's why I'm a really big fan of sort of talking to your kids about who you are as a parent, not as a parent to them, but like as a person, who you are and how you feel about who you are and what you wish you could do differently or wish you, or what you do really poorly. You know, um, for example, my husband may say, I, I have a little bit of the road rage when I drive. So, you know, so I think, (laughs) It's important for my kids to know that, like, this is not a strength of mine. You know, uh, talking back to traffic is really not my best (laughs) move. (laughs) But it shows them that as a person, I have things that as a person are are flawed, things that that I don't feel good about, but that I have other things that I feel really strongly about. I mean, and it's a tough thing. It's just so tough. Well, and also, you know, 
I love that reminder. And that's definitely something I believe deeply in is just, um, you know, our kids are paying attention to everything. And so everything really is an opportunity to model and to to share and to make an impression on them. And it's also just good to know that these things don't happen overnight, you know, that we may not see them becoming more confident or vocal or, you know, advocating for themselves in a couple of weeks time. But when we consistently do as you're suggesting, and we consistently model and and talk openly about all these ideas that everyone's working on things, and we're all on our own journey, that over time, that message will get through. And I and I think it's I think you hit it on the head with that ongoing conversation piece. It's not one conversation. It's it's a conversation over your child's lifetime. Right. And it depends on, you know, their ability to where they are in their lives and, and developmentally. That conversation may be really short. And it doesn't have to be a long conversation. I mean, we we know when kids aren't interested in talking anymore, right? We can tell that they're just done listening, they're done talking. Mm-hmm. And I think respecting those cues is really important because Otherwise, you're you're just sort of hammering away at something, and it's making it less likely that they're going to listen. So, having these short, ongoing conversations is just so key. Yeah, I think the media screws us with that because I'm always looking for the Brady Bunch moments, like or the after school <laughs> special conversations. Yeah. Like we're going to have one of those awesome heart to hearts, you know. And um, yeah. you're right; it tends to be and like a little comment here or there, capitalizing on moments, and then just kind of moving it, moving on. I just had this conversation with somebody about the the um, how well she's able to speak to her kids when she's not looking at them, and it fascinated me. She said that's why it works well to have conversations in the car because they're not watching your reaction and they just tell you things that they wouldn't usually tell you. And I thought that's brilliant. We need to take more car rides in our house, mm-hmm, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. so we can have a very very special episode of the Amanda Show. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. So, you know, you talked earlier about starting a new school, and I just want to touch upon that and see if you had any specific thoughts on that as, you know, I know this is a reality for a lot of our listeners that their kids may be starting a new school this year because of moving or or a reason where they were disinvited at a previous school or they just needed to find a better fit. So do you have any specific tips related to a new school start? Yeah, this an actually this one actually strikes me very personally too. Um, we switched school districts years ago, not you know more years ago. Now that I can say it wasn't just recently, but not like too long ago. And one of my sons had had such a difficult experience at the old school that he just didn't trust teachers anymore. Mm. And I thought that was very valid actually from his experience. So one of the things we had to do was let the teachers at the new school know that they, you know explain that his reasoning was valid ask them to give him some time to feel respected and safe enough to trust them. So that was really important. And, you know, knowing a new school, you know, I, I always think it's important, you know, that the things that we talk about, you know, taking a tour of the school, knowing where things are, those are always like key and important. And I think things that parents think about anyway, but I think just that emotional tour is important too, to think through what a new school looks like and what new friends might look like. For me as a parent, the one thing that I found was really key was to give my kids a safe place to be that wasn't around school, and that was home, right? You always have to have a place, that that soft place to land. And for a while, if new school is a tricky thing, making home sort of a school-free zone, you don't have to talk about school if it's not going well, you don't have to worry about, you know, we don't have to do this now. It's okay if you just want to be home and just be the place where you feel most comfortable, that's okay too. You know, so I think a lot in a case like that, a lot of the prep work is behind the scenes with the school and setting up a support system that believes in your child and your child's experience. And then I think the other thing is, you know, for a lot of kids, socials, the social piece of it is super, super hard. And they worry about making new friends and all of those kinds of things, right? And I think to some degree, it's, you know, talking to your kids about what friendship looks like is really a big deal to me. I've always wanted to make sure that my kids understand that you can have different types of friends, that you get to decide what friendship looks like for you, and that you don't have to accept anything less than what you want from a friend. Because I think that a lot of kids are like, this kid spends time with me, so they're my friend. But I think it's important to give them this idea that you get to decide what friendship looks like, you know, and that 
because it's naive to teach kids that that all friends are all kids are going to be friends with all kids. That's just not sort of the way life works. You know, so I think one of the things about starting a new school is is reminding your kids that there may be kids that you play with in the neighborhood and kids that you play with at school and have over after school. There may be kids that you hang out with in school, but you wouldn't think to have over or kids who like all the same things as you do and maybe things that you only have one thing in common with, but that's a big enough thing that it can build into a friendship. So I think there are all these components to it. And they're all, they're so complicated. But for me, that social piece is really huge, is making sure your child's set up for social success in a way that says like, well, I'm not expecting you to be me. I'm expecting you to be you and you get to make those decisions about what's best for you. That's great. And I think there's also lots of opportunities there for conversations about values and, um, and, and also self-advocacy within friendships, right? And right. Um, right that you get to decide, as you said, who you're going to spend time with, but also what is okay in terms of how you're treated and, and that kind of thing. Lots of fodder there for great conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as as adults, things we struggle with. So the earlier we can teach it to kids, the better we're setting them up. You know, I, I know I still struggle with some of those things as an adult. Yeah, absolutely. So as kind of a, a wrapping up question, If we think about parents who are listening to this, you know, a lot of the strategies have been about helping that transition for kids. Any advice or strategies for parents who are feeling anxiety around this time of year and and how they can enter into the school year in as kind of a confident, most peaceful way as possible? Oh, I love that you asked me that because it assumes I figured that out. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Amanda. Yeah, Yeah, I know. know. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I have it all sorted out now. (laughs) Truthfully, I think um, sometimes acknowledging the chaos can go a long way, right? I think acknowledging that it's not going to be easy. It may be a little chaotic. You're, you know, if you're going to count for what may cause you anxiety, you can work backwards to have fixes for that anxiety. You know, um, it can give you a way to have some forethought, maybe do a run through or two. If you know that what's going to cause you anxiety is getting out the door in the morning, that you're all rushing to get out the door, nobody's synchronized you know, then I think it gives you the opportunity to think through what a reasonable timetable is, or, you know, a schedule. So not everybody's stuck in the bathroom or the kitchen or, you know, things that are going to make you kind of crazy and more anxious, I think you can sort through. I think the other thing is, I'm not quite sure how to say this, but I think there are things that are always going to make us anxious. And I think the dialing back and looking at what you can fix and what you can help and what you can't and what's just going to be an anxiety provoker for you. It's really helpful. I make lists, right? A worry list of things that things that I'm worried about that I can control, things that I'm worried about that I might be able to control eventually, and things that I'm just never going to be able to control and I'm going to worry about. Just having it in front of me helps me a lot because I can sort through what are mine, what's mine to own, What's mine I need to work through with my kids? And what's mine that's just something I know I'm never going to be able to to stop worrying about? Um, that's helpful to me. And I, I don't know how that helpful that would be for other people. I just think recognizing that this is not the rest of your life, right? This is a moment of your entire life. And it's not like a test that you're going to fail or you're going to succeed at, that you always have new opportunities. You always have new chances. If something goes badly, it goes badly and you can move forward and try again. And and I think those things are so hard as parents for us to keep in mind that our anxiety is like, we just have to get it right. It has to be perfect. It has to go well. I want my kid to be happy. I want everything to be exactly the way it should be. And knowing that you always have more chances. Tomorrow's another day. Next week is another week. Things are going to change over time. I think that's just so key. And then just being prepared, right? Knowing where you can find support, knowing you're not alone, that you have a tilt parenting to turn to, an understood to turn to, a next door neighbor to turn to, knowing that you have somebody to talk these things through with is just huge too. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that. Those words of advice, that wisdom, and that idea of Remembering that this isn't the rest of your life, just that alone, because we can feel so daunted by what's happening in this moment. And it is so important that we continue to look at the big picture. You know, what, what are our ultimate goals for our kids? 
and kind of keep our eye on the prize and and not get so caught up in the fears related to what might happen on one particular day. Right. And I think it's something we try and teach kids that you can always have a fresh start, but we're maybe not as good at internalizing that as parents. I feel like we often feel like we we should have it figured out by now. And you yeah. know what? I, I yeah. don't have it figured out. And, and if you do, I'd love to know. Please tell us. Everybody tell us, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been super helpful. There's just so much that we covered and lots of good strategies. And I would love if you could just share with us, you mentioned the toolkit. I know there's so many other resources on Understood. So where can parents go to tap into those resources? So the good thing is it's really easy. It's either u.org or understood.org. And on the very front page, you're going to find a back to school icon that you can click on and go through the back to school kit. Super simple. Excellent. Well, for those who won't be able to remember u.org, go to my uh, <laughs> go to my show notes page and I'll have the links for for all of the resources that Amanda and I talked about as well. But thank you so much for sharing all this with us. The timing is perfect. I know that when this podcast is airing, people are going to be right in the throes of it. So thank you so much, Amanda. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a joy. Thank you. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, including links to Understood's Back to School Toolkit and all of the other resources we discussed, visit tiltparenting.com slash session 120. If you get value out of this podcast, please consider supporting it by making a small monthly contribution to help me cover the cost of production. There's a really easy way to do this. It's an online platform called Patreon. Your contributions and that of other supporters are helping me pay my awesome editor, Donna, who takes my recorded conversations and intros and outros, cleans them up, edits them, tags them for iTunes, and uploads them onto my SoundCloud account. This literally saves me hours of time each week, and it allows me to focus on all the other pieces of keeping Tilt going and supporting this community. To sign up, just go to patreon.com slash tiltparenting. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And you can find a link on the Tilt Parenting website on any of the show notes pages. And of course, I couldn't end a podcast without my weekly reminder to leave a rating or a review for the show on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. There are a lot of parenting podcasts out there and ratings and reviews help keep our podcast highly visible, which in turn makes it easier for me to land those big guests. So thank you so much for your consideration. And thanks again for listening. For more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.